I'm not sure really whether it's going to be a sermon or whether it's going to be an assignment. As um, Doug Downs pointed out before the message started, men, I want you to get some pen and paper in your hand because we're going to be doing some writing down in this message. And, And wives, I don't want you to be excluded. This is a message from a father to fathers primarily. When Tom Waters and I were invited last year to give the Montana Conference men's, well, we call it men's retreat. When we got there, they told us that men don't retreat, so they have a men's summit. They call it a men's summit. And there were every single man in that congregation, it was just a small group, it was about 50 of us, every single man was taking notes. You could not get past a Bible verse or a spirit of prophecy quotation without somebody saying, hang on, where was that? Where was that? They were writing it down. That thrilled our hearts. I'd never seen anything like it in my life. But today could be a second chance. So men, I encourage you, write down. You're going to have to write down at some point. Wives, furnish your husbands with pen and paper, anything he needs. If it's a choice between you having it and him having it, give it to him. Okay, just this once. The message is split into two parts. Okay, the first part, we're going to look at God, our father and friend. Fathers, we're going to look at God, our father. And the second part of the message, we're going to look at us, fathers, being father and friend to our children. Some of you I know didn't have a good role model in your father as you grew up. I come from a home, as my wife has already shared a little bit, that my family, we didn't go to church as I was growing up, except for just those special occasions like weddings and funerals and christenings and things like that. We would have been classed as nominal Church of England Really, we had no faith. God was never mentioned. Prayer was never heard. But my parents spent time with us children. They argued, and we lay in bed sometimes, children, hearing our parents just shouting at each other. We didn't grow up in a Christian home. So I could come up with the excuse that I didn't have the role model, except for as I've pleaded that case with God, God says, yes, you do have a role model. It's me. Just as I am your father, you are to be a father to your children. And that's really how this message is going to develop, I hope. If you didn't have a human role model, I agree that is a disadvantage, but it's not an excuse. It's not something to hang your hat on and say that my parenting is not what it could be because I didn't have the human role model. Yes, it's a disadvantage, but no, it's not an excuse. So, assignment part one. Men, take your papers out. I want you to write down on your piece of paper, God, father and friend to, and then put your name down. So I'd be put in there, God, father and friend to Paul Rain. That's a little section title. I want you, you can underline it. Then I want you to write this question down. Okay? 
I'm going to give you the question, and I want you to write it out pretty much word for word. It says, this is the question I want you to write down underneath the title, God is my God, Father and Friend too. This is the question. What is it that I appreciate about God? What draws me to him? Oh, it thrills my heart to see men with their heads down, because I know what that means. So this is a question you have written down. What is it that I appreciate about God? What draws me to him? You got the question, men? Okay. Now, I told you this was an assignment more than a sermon, so I'm going to ask the people in the PA room there just to play a bit of gentle music at this point. I'm going to go and sit back down on the chair. I'm just going to give you two or three minutes to answer that question down on paper because it's going to be the basis of the rest of what we're going to talk about. Okay, so just give it some thought. Wives, you can do the same, but no peeping. Okay, just give him a bit of space. Let him write down what God means to him. So I don't know how many points you've got down there, men, whether it's two or three or four or five. 
Isn't that beautiful music? Oh Lord, you're beautiful, if you recognize the song. Played by four children whose father died of cancer, the Lodenkamp family. They have no father, but your children, men, do have you. One day, sooner than we think, they'll be leaving the home if the Lord hasn't come back, and they'll be heading out into the big wide world with their own wife and maybe their own children and starting a new branch on the family tree. The life of that branch is somewhat dependent upon what we do at this time. They need all the help they can get, don't they? Do our children need all the help they can get? Oh, yes. Do they need all the example they can get? Yes. And they need all the time they can get. Before they leave the home, before Genesis 2.24 is fulfilled, that they shall leave father and mother and she'll cleave unto his wife, before that happens, I want you to turn with me to Malachi chapter 4. You'll know what it says as soon as you get there. Malachi chapter 4, last book of the Old Testament. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. That was that verse, I believe, has a dual application to Christ's first coming and to Christ's second coming. That verse was fulfilled, at least in some respects, at the first coming through the ministry of John the Baptist. You remember what the angel said to Zechariah? He said of John the Baptist, who hadn't been born yet, he shall go before him, that's Christ, in the spirit and power of Elijah, Elias, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Let's go back to Malachi chapter 4, verse 6. And he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Now, I know that has an application to the fathers of their faith, back to the the ways of the Lord, but I also believe that before Jesus Christ comes again, that God is going to have fathers whose heart he is going to turn towards his children. Do you believe it? I believe that's one of the reasons that God has raised up this ministry for that very purpose. And to tell you the truth, it scares the life out of me when I read it there, right there in the Bible. That's pretty deep. Note the order in the verse that God shall turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and almost as a result, the hearts of the children to the fathers. So where is the rebellion problem that we see in so many teens today? It's not wholly in the parents. Parents can do everything right. And they can lose their children for a little while. I'm well aware of that. Happened to 
the best father that ever lived. Lost some of his children right there at the beginning. But I believe, men and fathers, that if we allow God to turn our hearts to him and to our children, that truly the children will turn their hearts to their father and to us. You believe it? It's right there in the scriptures. Fathers, you know the question God's going to ask us one day. Found in Jeremiah 1320. Where is the flock that was given thee? Thy beautiful flock. God's going to ask us that question one day, fathers. It might be well face to face. Can you imagine being asked such a question? Adventist Home, page 216. The father's duty to his children cannot be transferred. Sometimes you might get an admission ticket to some event, not camp meeting, but to some event, and what does it say? Not transferable. That's what came on the ticket of fatherhood, not transferable. Cannot be transferred, not even to the most godly mother and wife in all the world. Nobody can replace you, Dad. Nobody. Assignment part two. Not so much writing down on this one, but a lot more thinking. Look at your list that you've made there. What is it that you appreciate about God? What draws you to him? Just read over that list. Just have a look at it. Read over it. I'm going to be reading you my list here pretty shortly. At least part of it. (laughs) Now, fathers, here is part two of your assignment, okay? I want you to write down. Underneath, you've had your first section title, God, Father and Friend 2, and your name. Then you wrote the question. Then you wrote what God meant to you. Now I want you to look, I want you to write down again, sorry. Section 2, you're going to underline this. This is, I want you to put your name in, but I wrote down Paul Rain, Father and Friend to Hannah and Caleb. So you, you write it down for you. Some of you have one child to write down. Some of you might have... Like the Michelot family, they have five children. Their email address, all seven for heaven. I think it's a great email address. <laughs> Paul Rain, father and friend to Hannah and Caleb. <clears throat> Underline that. Here's the question. How will I be to my children what God is to me? Okay, so that's the question. How will I be to my children what God is to me? Now, that's going to take a little longer to write down. I'm not going to sit down and play music for that. (laughs) But I would invite you men to make that your morning study for the next few mornings. Maybe one or two mornings, maybe a week. And then your assignment, your true assignment, my true assignment is seek to be just that 
to your children. Fathers, that is your mission. To be everything to your children that God is to you. Now, I recognize there's going to be some limitations. If you wrote down there that you, what draws you to God is the fact that he is the creator, well, obviously, <laughs> you, you, you can go somewhere along those lines, but you're not going to be able to fulfill it in the same role. That's obvious. Seek, fathers, to be just that to your children. I want to share the rest of the message opening my heart to you, sharing with you how this is going on in my heart. In part one, when I wrote this down, what is it I appreciate about God? What draws me to him? I wrote down this, first of all, God is always there to listen to me. He is my forever friend. As I thought about it, That's really what I love about God the most. He is always there to listen to me. My troubles, my plans, my woes, my joys. And he is, I know, he is my forever friend. I'm not saying by that that I'm his forever friend. Sometimes I forget about my friend. I'll be honest with you, sometimes I'll go outside to stretch my legs at three o'clock in the afternoon and I'll say, hello, Lord. <laughs> I haven't, haven't thought about you since I worshipped this morning. Does that have happened to you, fathers? What I like about God is always there to listen to me. So my assignment is I must always be there to listen to my children where humanly possible, to be their forever friend. I hope you can split out your notes, men. Here's number two that I appreciate about God and what draws me to him. His word inspires me with hope and courage. When I read it, to be very honest... When I tune in to what I'm reading... It really does do that. Sometimes I fall into the same trap that all of us fall into, and we just go into the surface reading. You know, I'm reading the book, but my mind is far away somewhere else. That doesn't inspire me with courage and hope. But when I really engage in reading his word, it does. Somehow, as I read God's word, he motivates me to follow his ways. That's what I appreciate about God. So my assignment must be to speak words. I'm just putting this in my words. Do things with my children that will inspire them with hope and courage. I must somehow motivate them by God's grace to love God and to love me. Number three that I appreciate about God is... I know he loves me, even when I fail and he has to correct me. I know that God never gets mad at me. (laughs) Isn't that nice to know? Even when I deny him, even when I ignore him, even when I betray him, God never gets mad at me. He's always there. And when he corrects me, he corrects me in love. 
So my assignment to my children is I must make every effort to let my children know that I love them, even when I have to do the inevitable, to give some correction, some consequences, some punishment. Number four that I appreciate about God is I know he will never give up on me. Oh, I've been tempted. But I know in the bottom of my heart, and I want every one of you to know, no matter what you have done wrong, no matter how bad a father you have been, or how good a father you've been, God will never give up on you, and he will never give up on me. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, Jesus Christ said. And I know that God is always out for my best good, even when trials come my way. So my assignment to my children, number four, is I need to make sure, sorry, I need to make sure my children know that I will never give up on them and that I am always looking out when I'm in Christ for their best good. So, how am I tackling my assignment? <laughs> well, perhaps I should invite my family up. <laughs> but they've never heard this message before. It's the first time. You know, I can't be a father who dictates and commands over my children. But I can't be a father who's just soft and easy and what's the word I'm looking for kind of woolly, fuzzy they need to know where I stand but I can't stand over them so to speak they've got to get that balance somehow, I have to be faithful I have to be principled and they need to know that but I need to be affectionate sympathetic and caring That seems to be my life work, getting those two virtues balanced by God's grace. So what am I doing? My my first part of my assignment was to always be there to listen to my children, to be their forever friend. Well, if you notice children, you might have noticed when they first got to camp meeting, maybe if they didn't know many other children, they were somewhat subdued. But by about this time, they're really getting pretty warmed up. (laughs) Making friends, you know, things are livening up a bit. Sometimes children need warming up a little bit to their parents. Maybe your children are fairly quiet. And you say, yeah, I'd happily listen if they would say something. (laughs) But they don't really say much. How you doing? Good. What are you up to? Nothing. You know, there's not a lot of listening to do, is there? So if we're going to listen, we've got to get into getting them to talk. Well, how do we get the children to talk? How do you think, fathers? Ask questions. Somebody said it. Ask questions. We have adjusted our schedule so that we eat together. Now, I know that's not possible for every father here. But I believe it could be possible, more possible than you think, to have a meal together. I heard of a family once where the family got up at some unearthly hour in the morning, little children as well, so they could have breakfast with Daddy, who went off to work at 6 a.m. or whatever. How serious are you, fathers, 
about having talk time with your children. Schedule meal time together. And then at the meal table, ask some questions. Oh yeah, it won't go great initially, but at our meal table, that has become a pretty, um, pretty busy time. In fact, we're getting to the point where I say, Caleb, you need to eat some food, boy. <laughs> you can't talk all the way through. Give your sister a chance. Mind you, she's got plenty to say as well. Now, but I know sometimes children go through a bit of a lull in that. So if you want them to speak, you've got to get them into the talk mode. At evening times, Father. So there's meal times. That's one way you can get your children to talk. In the evenings, fathers, do you put time aside in the evenings for your children? Oh, I know you'd like to. Be very honest, fathers. I'm right there with you. It's a battle for me every single day. Is it the same for you? To put time aside for your children. I wanted to read to you some quotes. It says in Fundamentals of Christian Education, page or FE for short, 154, let parents, okay mom, you're not out of this one, let parents devote the evenings to their families. You know, many fathers have told me, oh, I'd love to do that. But there just isn't time. There's too many things to do. I'm too tired. Oftentimes we're too tired when we get home because we've spent all our energy on our employment. We've got nothing left for our family. I tell you, back off a bit on your employment and have some time, have some energy left, some thought life left for your children when you get home. Adventist Home, page 220. The average father wastes many golden opportunities to attract and bind his children to him. Can you relate? Would you put yourself in that category? Would you? Come on, men, be honest with me. Do you waste many golden opportunities to bind the hearts of your children Well, it says here that you're an average father. (laughs) Welcome to the average club. I put myself there for sure. The average father wastes many golden opportunities to attract and bind his children to him. Upon returning home from his business, he should find it a pleasant change to spend some time with his children. End of quote. It's not really as impossible as you think. It is possible. I personally, to give you my testimony, had to make that a matter of prayer every single day before it became a reality. And even at this point, it is not a reality as often as I would like it to be. Fathers, if you're in your pew or your comfortable chair at this moment and you're saying, you don't understand, Paul. That isn't possible for me. You don't know my circumstances. You don't know my weaknesses. You don't know my family. It is impossible for me. Because of your commitments at work. I have another quote for you on the next page. Adventist Home, page 221. If he, the father, is engaged in business, which almost wholly closes the door to usefulness in his family... And I'll put the the remainder of it in my words. 
he should quit and get another job. This is what it really says. He should seek other employment which will not prevent him from devoting some time to his children. If he neglects them, he is unfaithful to the trust committed to him by God. Do we want to be unfaithful fathers? I don't believe any one of us does. I don't believe you'd have your family here if that was in your heart. So what should we do in the evening? Institute family time. Say, I'm the dad here, and dad is instituting family time. And then, depending on the ages of your children, you get down on your knees and say, Lord, what are we going to do? Ask them. They might have plenty of ideas. But for our children, the age they are, I'll share some of the things that we do. We play hide-and-seek. Sometimes outdoors. Well, we've just been through winter. We still have two foot of snow in our yard. So we've been playing hide-and-seek inside. You put a blindfold on, turn the lights off, hide behind the couch. Our children, they learned it from the water's children. They like to take their shoes off, and it's the only chance they ever get to stand on the counters. There they are, perched on the counter on one leg, and somebody's coming round blindfolded, you know, feeling the leg. There they go, try and guess who it is. You have to be careful on that sometimes, but you try it. I personally, when, they, when it comes to what should we do for family time, my standard line is hide and seek. <laughs> I really enjoy it. Maybe it's, you know, depending on the age of your children, maybe it's getting the Play-Doh out. Is that what they call it over here? Yeah. Maybe it's getting the paints out. Oh, what a mess. And I, I tell you the truth, I kind of recoil from painting. It's like, oh, man, what a mess. But I tell you, give the children the chance and, yeah, painting. That's what they want to do. Whatever it is, I'm talking about younger children. If you've got teens, then, you know, painting isn't going to hold it probably. Hide and seek may still mine, I tell you. I know Alison, 24, she still likes hide and seek, and Emily and Josiah. Legos, go on a bike ride with your children. Not, hey children, it's family time, dad's just going to finish off this, why don't you get the bikes out and go for a ride? That's not family time, that's children time, play time. I'm talking about family time. Go on the trampoline. If you've got a trampoline, we have a trampoline that was built into our yard when we bought the house. At the moment, it has, we were gone in November um, when I should have been taking the trampoline down and putting it indoors. So we've left it up all winter. So all winter, every time the snow falls, either Caleb or I have to go out there with a the shovel and shovel all the snow off the mat. So now we have this big um, snow bank all the way around our trampoline. And the children got this great idea. They could jump off the snowbank and bounce on the trampoline. So they, they jump off and they bounce and they bounce and they bounce and then one big bounce and they're up on the other side. And they think it's great fun. And when I came to join them one time, I figured, you know, they're doing three or four bounces. Why don't we start a game where we can see how many bounces we have to do before we get off? So I tried. I did one, two, and I just about got off. Hannah caught it immediately, and she followed me, and she did two. I thought, man, how did she do that? I struggled, and she did it. Caleb is a little bit shorter. His legs are just 
tiny little legs, he couldn't do three. But see, they just they remember this. We had such a f- great time doing this. And then finally, I got the courage up. The, the banks are about three foot high above the, the trampoline. And so I would lean forward like this. I'd lean forward. And as soon as I thought I was going to fall, I would just push. And I managed to do it, bounce once, and then get right off the other side. It was scary, I tell you. It pushed me past my comfort limit. But the children were determined, absolutely determined they were going to do the same. Well, Daddy still got something on you children because neither of them got to do that. (laughs) Caleb did get down to two like his sister. He had to take a run at it. Run, 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 bounce, bounce, and then over the other side. But neither of them got to one bounce. But it's just a little thing. But is it? Is it really just a little thing? Turn in the hearts of the fathers to their children. It's not a little thing. It's a much bigger thing to them than we believe. Other examples, kick the ball, throw the ball, hit the ball. Frisbee, Caleb and I play Frisbee regular. We've played it already this year. Go to the local park, play on the swings, Whatever it is that fits your family, have a little family council. Get together. Dad needs some ideas for family time. Maybe it's just going on a walk together. But when you go on a walk, talk to your children. We were going on a walk oh, a couple of weeks ago, just to try and give you a current example. Hannah's, you know, she's in third grade um, English. She's been learning about adjectives and nouns, pronouns, verbs, adverbs, and all those kind of fun things. And she said to me as we were walking up the road, Daddy, do you know what an adjective is? Well, I was really tuned out for most of my school life, I must admit. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's an adjective. I think that's uh, an action word, I said. Oh, no, 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 Daddy. A describing word, yes. Okay. You know what a noun is? Pronoun? Well, I had no idea. <laughs> I'm sorry to say. <laughs> Verbs and adverbs. So, Daddy, would you like me to teach you? Well, I'll be very honest. Hannah, put your fingers in your ears. I have really no interest. I have so many things on my plate. I don't really care what an adverb is, to tell the truth. <laughs> but she wanted to teach me. And a little voice said to me, This will be good revision for her. Mommy can listen in, find out whether she's really caught the concept or what. So she's trying to teach me, you know, and I'm not going to try and do it now because I'll probably mess up, but I think I know what an adjective, a noun. But then she got onto sentence diagramming. Jimmy went quickly to Kalispell. And she wants me to tell him, you know, is Kalispell, uh, I'm still, I'm having to look at my notes because I have no idea what I'm on about. (laughs) You know, which word is an adverb, or you know, is it a common noun or a, a specific noun? We've still got a ways to go. <laughs> but I tell you what, it's great communication time. I am on a higher mission than verbs and nouns and adverbs. I'm keeping the communication channels open with my nine-year-old. How else can I show my children that I'm there to listen, just like God is there to listen for me? How can I show them that I'm their forever friend? That's the mission. That's my mission, at least in this portion. 
Oftentimes, on Friday evening, it's, it's working its way towards a tradition, I would say, Friday evening, when we put the children to bed, I'll jump in with Caleb, and, ha- and Carolyn will jump in with Hannah, and we'll just lie in their bed, on their pillow, and just talk. So, hey Caleb, how was your week? And we talk about all kinds of stuff. Just him and I, lying there, looking at the stars that he's got stuck on his ceiling. Of course, I don't normally see them, but you switch the light off. It's a great time for fathers to bond with their sons. And moms, for you to bond with your daughters. Another way that we can show our children that we're their friends you know, just a thought that comes into my mind. <clears throat> Fathers, if we treated our friends like we treat our children sometimes, we wouldn't have any friends. You know what I mean? Sometimes we're so quick to snap at our children. If we snapped like that to our brothers at church, we'd get a wide berth. And we expect the children to love us. God wants to turn our hearts to our children. Recreational activities are an opportunity for the family to do something together and for the children to know that dad cares for them. We saved long and hard $400 to buy an inflatable raft, a battery from Walmart, um, a Minn Kota boat motor... (laughs) Yeah, one of those electric motors, and we strapped it to the back of our raft. We have a lake that's about four miles from where we live, and we have spent our spare moments to refer back to my wife's message, going up to Tally Lake near where we live, and we blow the raft up, we put the motor on, and it's absolutely silent, and we just cruise across the lake. You know, you could probably walk quicker, but... We're out there, Hannah might be reading us a story or we might be singing. I think I've shared this in a message before. We're in Glacier Park and and our raft and we were out in the middle of nowhere. You know, this is a Bowman Lake. It's just back country. Not many people go there. We're in our raft. It's a big lake, very wide, very long, six miles long. And we are just singing our hearts out. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And we went through Oklahoma and you know, California, all the camp meetings, and then in our home, and, you know, in our church, and all of that. We were singing our hearts out, had a great time. When we got to the shore, (laughs) the sound travels pretty good on a still day. (laughs) We thought we were on our own, and people on the beach were listening. (laughs) We didn't care. We were having family time. That was a Sabbath, actually, Sabbath afternoon. Recreational activities. Fathers, put your mind to the task. You do great things at work. Do great things in your family. You've heard the old saying, families that pray together stay together. Somebody was telling me recently they read a book that was a lot of statistics, really showing that families that play together have much more of a chance of staying together also. We as Christians can do both. That was just a worldly book. Vacations. 
Another way that we can bind the hearts of our children to us. Don't tell me you haven't got enough money for vacation, because I don't believe it. You got your priorities mixed up. That's really what it is. We can, even if it's just very simple, even if it's just camping 10 miles up the road, or out to the nearest state park or whatever. We have made it a priority in our finances. We can't do it every single month, but we try to put some money aside every month to save up for the summer. And because of that, not a great amount, because of that, we have hiked many of the trails in Glacier Park. Of course, that one's on our doorsteps, only an hour away. But we've waited for hours for Grand Geyser to go off in Yellowstone. The anticipation. Is it going to happen, Daddy? It's bubbling, Daddy. It's dying down, Daddy. Oh, it comes, Daddy. Oh, it's gone again, Daddy. We were there till 8.30 one night. The children were a lot younger. And finally, grand, as it's called, was very grand. And it went off. I don't know if you know anything about grand geezer, but one of the geezer gazers, people who study these things, was sat where we were stood. And he says, you want to know something about grand? I says, yeah, tell me all you know. He says, it's always great. I always love to see the tourists. When it goes off, it goes off and it spurts for about 15, 20 minutes, and then it dies down. And then you wait about 30 seconds and it does one last push. And so we're there and you know, we're waiting and you can see the pools building up and it's starting to bubble. The suspense is, you don't need anything on TV, just go to Yellowstone. Not old faithful, he's old and faithful, you know, just does the same thing every 92 minutes or whatever. But Grand goes off every 12 hours. Sometimes it's the middle of the night, middle of the day. This particular time, it was 8.30 in the evening. And we're waiting and we're waiting. It was summer. Don't go there in winter. We tried that. It's all closed. But we're waiting, and off it goes. My parents are with us, and Dad's got the video camera, and it's, everybody's, woo, they're all just, it's so exciting. And then it dies down, and people start walking away. We knew what was going to happen. And then, boom, off it goes again. Wow, everybody just, you know, I'm not encouraging, you know, people yelling in the crowd, but just the excitement for our children. I want to be the kind of father that gives them those opportunities. That is a higher mission, binding their hearts to my heart. So when we get to those teen years, there's a bond there that I've been working on all this time. We've seen the beauties of Banff. We've been on the boat trips in Waterton. We've been into the, under the arches, in arches. We've been to the Grand Tetons. We've floated the river in Yosemite. We've been in and around and tried to get up the redwoods. We've hiked down into the Grand Canyon. We've done all of that in the last six years. Because we are determined. Well, we kind of ran out of all the parks that we can drive to now. All we do is we load up our Subaru and our little trailer with all the camping stuff. And we just drive. We don't necessarily motel it unless we get really dirty. <laughs> we just take a camping site, keep the cost down. And we have a great time. We eat outside, rain or shine. But oftentimes, daddy's too busy. I will admit to you, fathers, that it is my wife who normally does the vacation planning. Where are we going this year? Oh, I don't know that really we're going to... You know, there's so many things and 
And can we really afford it? And, you know, I'm kind of dragging my feet, I'll be honest, a little bit, until we're about 15 miles down the road. And then I'll say my classic line to my wife, I told you we should have gone on vacation. (laughs) You know, once you've left it all behind, it's like, now it's... Don't let that be you, Father. I'm trying to get out of that. You be the one to lead the way. Where are we going? Boy, I'm really running out of time here. That's, that's number one. I've got three more to do. We'll move on a bit quicker. The second thing that I appreciate about God, he inspires me with hope and courage. So I must somehow find a way to inspire my children with hope and courage. I can actually take an out here. Thank you, Maria Neblet. Maria Neblet, now part of Restoration International, has her whole message entitled The Language of Encouragement. If you haven't listened to that, it's there on the back table in the album Heavenly Priorities in the Family. One whole message about how to encourage your children. Some of you know that we built in our, our yard last year and this year, put some plastic down, got some snow around the outside, and filled it with water and waited for a very cold night, and it froze. Several nights it took. So we now have a 65-foot by 24-foot ice rink in our backyard, and the children have learned to ice skate. It's still there, probably going to be there till August, I think. It's that solid. It's about nine inches thick at one end. I've got to figure out how to get rid of it now because it's kind of slushy on the top. But, you know, as we were teaching the children to ice skate, It was 20% instruction and 80% encouragement. And I come to realize maybe that formula applies a lot more than we think. Give our children the encouragement. Give them hope. That's what we did with our children. My wife talked about Hannah making the meal, Hannah and Caleb. We set them up for that about a month or two months before. We said, children, if you can keep the kitchen tidy... If you can be safe with the appliances and if you can move at a good speed through the kitchen, you can make a meal all on your own. Oh, they were motivated. They were very motivated. God motivates me. We have to find ways to motivate our children. God's love is now my motivation in life. But it didn't start out that way. I'll be very honest. When I became a Christian, I went to the crusade because they were offering a free Bible. That was my motivation. It's a lousy motivation, but it got me there. We have to start with what I call the lower motivations till... I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong on this, but I don't think so. I can't explain Calvary clear enough to my seven-year-old that it will motivate him to do everything that God wants him to do. I'm having to work with lower motivations, but I'm aiming in that direction. We have a school points system where it motivates them. There's no money involved, but it's points. Every time they get an A or 100% or whatever, they get some points. When they've got enough points, then they get something special. Caleb got a pilot's hat. Hannah got a little dress for a dolly. Whatever it is. Little points system. Encouragement. Encouragement. Adventist home. There's a section there, section nine. Every father knows what section nine is in Adventist home. Father the house band. Should read it every year, every month probably. Chapter 
36, a companion with his children. That's where most of these thoughts have come from, most of these quotes. Here's some more of them. Page 220. The father may exert an influence upon his children which shall be stronger than the allurements of the world. Do you believe it? Fathers and me, we can have a stronger influence upon our children than the world. Do you believe it? Same page. Fathers may establish such an influence over the expanding mind of their children that their counsel may be regarded as sacred. Same page. Fathers should not become so absorbed in business life or in the study of books that he cannot take time to study the natures and necessities of his children. He should help in devising ways by which they may be kept busy in useful labor, agreeable to their varied dispositions. So often as parents, we're concentrating on developing their weak areas, and we forget to give them some of the things they really enjoy. Give them some tasks agreeable to their varying dispositions. And then this bit, same quote, fathers spend as much time as possible with your children. Point number three that I appreciate about God is I know he loves me even when he has to correct me. We have to correct our children, don't we, fathers? Breaks my heart. When we correct our children, if you're frustrated with them, don't touch them. Don't touch them until you are in Christ. I mean it. Hands off. But when we do have to correct them, do it in a way that they know that you love them. I've been praying for this experience earnestly and it came starkly to my, my consciousness one day when my wife said to me something that Caleb, Carolyn shared with me something that Caleb had done wrong. And as soon as I heard it, I had the same reaction I'm having now. I just started bawling like a baby. Because I love him. And I knew it was going to be my job to have to give the correction. And I really didn't want to do it. And it broke my heart. And I sobbed like a baby right there in family worship. I didn't know it was going to take me again. Pray for that experience. No human hand can give it to you. No amount of trying can make it happen. It's a gift from God. Weep with your children when they do wrong. Fourth thing that I appreciate about God is I know he'll never give up on me. And I encourage you, fathers, to let your children know in no uncertain terms, no matter what they do that's wrong, that you will never, never give up on them. You can even say to them, son, daughter, by God's grace, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. 
There is nothing, I've already started this with my children, there is nothing in this world you can do, and I'm saying, by God's grace, that I will not continue to love you and do what is best. They need that reassurance because they have battles to fight. Oh, they have battles. We, how, if we could get into a child's mind, how do you think it is for children today? Do you think it's well, when we were children? It's a lot harder. There are more evils without to awaken more evils within in 2006 than there was when we were children. It's hard. It's very hard for children to be Christians in this day and age. We have to be friends with our children. We have to come down to their level in a way, or up to their level, whichever way it is, and we have to sympathize. We have to fight the battles and sympathize with their temptations. Oh, it may seem nothing to us that they have got a certain fault, but it probably seems nothing to the Father that we're stuck in front of the internet. (laughs) I'd like to close with Adventist Home, page 222. It's all in the same section. You can read all the quotes together. They're in one section there. Fathers, combine affection with authority, kindness and sympathy with firm restraint. Give some of your leisure hours to your children Become acquainted with them, associate with them in their work and in their sports, which is an old-fashioned word for play, and win their confidence. Cultivate friendship with them, especially men, especially with your sons. In this way, you will be a strong influence for good. To go back where we started, fathers, before Christ comes again, he will be turning the hearts of the fathers to the children. We can prepare the way of the Lord by picking up that first work. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.